Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz Podcast this week, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki. John Mitchell is here again, as always. We're going to be talking about Week 8 action uh, and then diving into Week 9, looking at games against the spread before we offer up our upsets and locks of the week reflect on our bad picks of week eight, and boy, were there plenty of them, and then offering up our dining and drinking options for the week. Before we dive in, John, how's everything going today? It's going good, man. We got a lot of crow to eat, so let's go ahead and get rolling on that. Yeah. Before we do, though, let's uh, let's take a moment and look at some of the best and worst of this week. What did you see as the best win of the weekend? You know, I think it's time that everyone starts, I think, realizing that Baylor is legit, and they're a legit contender in the Big 12. They were four-point underdogs going to Stillwater this week to face Oklahoma State. Not only did they win, they won handily, 45-27 to 27 over um, Oklahoma State. And, I mean, just a great job Matt Rule's done in Waco, turning that program around after his everything that happened at the end of the Art Bryles tenure and then kind of a rough start for Rule himself. They went 1-11, I believe it was, in his first season. They've made steady improvement every year since, and now they're they're 7-0. and You know, Zach, and this week in my bowl projections, I actually moved them up to the Sugar Bowl after Texas's close call against Kansas. I think the Bears have a legit shot at making a New Year's Six bowl game. Uh, you have to be impressed with their defense. They held um, Spencer Sanders and Oklahoma State's passing offense just 157 yards through the air, uh, Chuba Hubbard had 171 yards, but he does that pretty much against anybody. The fact that they were able to limit what they could do through the air really changed the game. Um, they had a defensive touchdown. I mean, you've got to be impressed with their defense, uh, and they've got enough offense to really stay competitive, too. Charlie Brewer threw for over 300 yards only, on only 13 completed passes, so really efficient in what they were doing. So I thought Baylor, uh, you know, we – I thought Oklahoma State would win that game. I think a lot of people thought Oklahoma State would win that game with them being at home, but Baylor going on the road and beating Oklahoma State was really eye-opening and impressive for me. Yeah, that was an incredible win, and I I think especially bringing up the defensive effort is huge. We often rip on Big 12 teams for being all O O and no D, and uh, it's really become a staple of these Bears teams that they're they're defeating teams with that defense. So yeah, Hubbard did get his yards. That's to be expected. What also really impressed me was Jamichael Hasty putting up 146 and two touchdowns on 16 carries. You know, averaged over eight yards a or over nine yards a carry, excuse me. And uh, you know, you look at John Lovett as well. He posted 8.1 yards a carry and a touchdown on only seven touches. And so Baylor is really efficient right now. I think you're absolutely right to be moving them into that Sugar Bowl spot. That Baylor-Texas game is basically going to decide which of these two teams get to play Oklahoma at this point. And the way it's looking with Baylor's defense, the Bears have a really good shot of being there in that title game. So I'm right there with you. I think it was an incredible victory for Baylor. Uh, Real you know, another big statement coming out in a season of statements. For me, obviously, as a duck, that Oregon win against Washington was right there at the top of my games this week. And, uh, you know, besides my own personal interest in this, it was huge because it kept the Pac-12 alive in the college football playoff race. As far as the conference goes, they've been really good at beating up on each other this year. It's been the common refrain you hear from everybody and just the resilience that Oregon showed in Seattle was huge you know they rebound from a 14 point deficit there in the second half and uh they they did it with mainly their offense and uh it must be noted that the defense was exposed somewhat Eason did throw for 289 yards and three touchdowns on 23 of 30 passing so He was really efficient, completed more than 75% of his passes. It's something that the Ducks need to shore back up as they continue on in Pac-12 play, but 
They did hold Washington to only 125 rushing yards on 3.7 a carry. And in the end, Justin Herbert won the battle of quarterbacks. He was less efficient, only completed 24 out of his 38 attempts, but he threw for 280 and four touchdowns. And the the running game also was able to pick it up. Cyrus Habibi Likio ran for 81 yards and a touchdown. And you saw the whole unit getting in on that, not just Habibi Likio, but the rest of the backfield also performing really well. So Mario Cristobal's team is up to number 11 in the polls, and I think they're only going to continue to climb based on the rest of the schedule they have ahead of them. Yeah, you know, that was the toughest test they had left on the schedule. And, you know, their defense got exposed some. You also have to credit Chris Peterson for coming up with a good game plan uh, to attack the Oregon defense. And, you know, this was a must-win game for Washington. I mean, this loss effectively ends any hopes the Huskies had of a repeat uh, Rose Bowl berth because now they have three losses in conference, effectively giving Oregon a four-game advantage uh, now that they have the head-to-head Uh, on their side so this is a game Washington had to win they came out and played like a desperate football team but at the end of the day Oregon proved that they were the better team getting on getting the road win that you know Oregon didn't have to have this game in terms of the Pac-12 race but you know like you said it would have completely removed the Pac-12 from the playoff consideration at this point Oregon definitely still alive with the only loss coming to Auburn and you know Barring an upset, they should be able to get through 11-1 and one and heading into what could be a really good Pac-12 title game against Utah or USC. So a huge win for the Ducks. Um, they had a lot go against them early in the game. Overcame adversity, and they'll be better for it. Yeah, I, I'm obviously a very happy alumnus this week. And that's in part because the team I grew up rooting for took what I saw as the worst loss of the week. Number six, Wisconsin goes to Champaign and collapses against Illinois, a game that they were expected to win by a wide margin. I really think, first and foremost, the Badgers got caught looking ahead to the Ohio State game this week. But beyond that, Illinois exposed some issues in that Badgers secondary. Brandon Peters was testing them repeatedly downfield, and Illini receivers were winning those battles. And the, the that back-end issue is going to be really costly if they don't get it shored up quickly. We've been talking about Wisconsin as an all-time historic defense, and Illinois really kind of laid waste to that, that narrative in, in Champaign on homecoming. Jonathan Taylor ran for 132 yards and a touchdown, but... The coaches basically took the ball out of his hands there after he fumbled it. And, uh, you know, Jack Cohn was good for most of the game, had an efficient day, but that late interception proved really costly. And the fact that they were throwing in that situation in the first place really has me worried about what the Badgers are trying to do with their play calling. Obviously, hats off to Illinois. This was their first top 10 victory since 2017. Or Hats off to Illinois. This was their first top 10 victory since 2007. That wild, wacky 2007 season. Shout out Juice Williams. Yeah, exactly. But this was a really costly loss for the Badgers. They fell seven spots in the AP and coaches poll from number six to number 13. They're really buried there. Obviously, if they go to Columbus and beat Ohio State, a lot will be forgiven. But at the end of the year, when they're parsing out who those top one-loss teams are, Wisconsin's got a really bad loss on their record now. And I think no matter what they do, even as a 12-1 Big Ten champion, it's still going to be enough, I think, to keep them out of the playoff. Yeah, that's that's definitely a just unbelievable loss, to be honest. I, I no one I think saw that coming. I think even ardent Illini supporters wouldn't have figured that they had much of a shot against a Wisconsin team that had, you know, four shutouts in six games so far coming into Saturday's matchup with Illinois. And Illinois had looked, you know, like Illinois typically looks, save for that 2007 season that you were just discussing. Um, 
it's a huge loss, not just from a playoff perspective, but if you look at it from the perspective of the Big Ten West race, now Wisconsin's pretty much in a must-win situation next week against Ohio State, a second Big Ten loss. When you look over and you've got Minnesota, who's 7-0 and and 4-0 in Big Ten play already, you know, the Golden Gophers are sitting pretty. Uh, they were happier than any other team not named Illinois on Saturday to watch the Badgers go down. It also helps that Minnesota at the end of the year draws the Badgers at home, too, and what could have decide the Big Ten West. But if no one else beats Minnesota, and they still have some tough games left on the schedule, Wisconsin's got to win out to even have a shot. They could beat Minnesota and still not win the West at this point, the way things are going. So huge loss from that perspective. I don't think anyone saw the Golden Gophers being uh, undefeated at this point in the season either. So huge loss. Big win for Illinois. Good for Lovey Smith's team um, getting over the hump in that kind of game. Hard not to be impressed with the way they played and the way they responded down nine points with six minutes or so left in that contest to be able to pull out the victory with the touchdown and getting the interception and kicking a game winning field goal. We didn't have a college kicker situation, Zach, unfortunately, I know you were hoping there at the end. Um, You know, that's probably the worst loss of the week from that standpoint, but I went with a different game uh, over in the ACC Miami dropping a home game to Georgia Tech in overtime. I guess we can officially say the U is back. They're back to being mediocre like they've been for so many years now. It remains to be seen whether the Hurricanes will ever again be the team that, you know, we saw in the early 2000s and the 90s and the 80s and stuff like that. They've been kind of wandering the wilderness for years now. We were both pretty critical of the Manny Diaz hire anyway, um, bringing him back after he had accepted the Temple head coaching job. And, you know, early returns haven't been very good. Uh, The Hurricanes are now 3-4 and after the loss to Georgia Tech and really teetering on the possibility of missing a bowl game, which would just be a stunning development for a team that many people uh, had predicted to play for the ACC championship game, potentially challenge Clemson in the ACC. They started out the season with such high expectations. And to drop to a Georgia Tech team that, I mean, this is a Georgia Tech team that's in the middle of one of the biggest transitions in college football history, right? Moving from, you know, their triple option set team, not even really having a lot of personnel fit to run the system that Jeff Collins wants to run in Atlanta. Only win coming into this game was over a South Florida team who had yet to find their identity, uh, had lost to the Citadel already this season. And for them to go to Miami and beat the Hurricanes, I mean, great win for Jeff Collins, but... What a horrible loss for the Hurricanes this weekend. It really was. It's funny because this weekend uh, for my Sunday morning quarterback column, I looked at uh, conference realignment and teams that have really just been losers in the conference realignment battle. So spoiler alert if you haven't read that yet, Miami has had the roughest transition of any team since since making that move from the Big East to the ACC. <laughs> it really makes you wonder if, uh, you know, they have second thoughts about that. They've only been to one ACC championship game, obviously. That was, a, you know, a bright spot for them. It looked like they might finally be turning the corner. But at this point, how many alumni wish that the biggies still existed and the hurricanes were still there. Well, switching gears, let's look at what you have as your biggest surprise of the weekend. Obviously the results we've already talked about were quite surprising, but what else did you see as a really surprising result this week? We almost had one of the biggest upsets of the season on Saturday. It didn't turn out that way, but I was still stunned to see Kansas almost beat Texas on Saturday. The Longhorns having to pull out a game-winning field goal from clutch kicker Cameron Dicker, who always seems to make that kick when the Longhorns need him the most. What a wild game, though. Texas pulls out a 50-48 to win over Kansas. It was a 50-point fourth quarter between those two teams. It was just a wild back-and-forth game. Kansas scored a touchdown with a minute and 11 to play. Les Miles, as he always has throughout his career, rolled the dice, went for two. They got it. And then Texas engineers a drive. Sam Ellinger came up big all day. But, man, really 
eye-opening to watch the Longhorns struggle against Kansas. You could call it a letdown game after the Red River rivalry last week, the loss to Oklahoma. Maybe they weren't all up for this game against the Jayhawks. But that was almost that was almost the worst loss of almost the season at this point, you know, uh, for Texas. And really, again, made me question, like I did all of last season, whether Texas is at the level that a lot of their fans think they're at. I think they were a bit overhyped last year. We talked about in the preseason, neither of us picked the picked Texas to get back to the Big 12 championship game this year. Um and, you know, they've played two really quality teams so far this year, and they've lost both, right? They lost to LSU, they lost to Oklahoma, and they nearly lost to Kansas in what would have been shot and a, a huge shock across the country. So it remains to be seen whether this Texas team is as good as advertised. We'll talk about that more later on. But they got some tough games left on the schedule. Their two biggest challengers um, for second place in the Big 12 are probably Iowa State and Baylor, and they have to go on the road for both of those games in late November. Yeah, exactly. And just as we talked about a little bit earlier, I mean, obviously neither of us had Baylor as the team that was going to usurp Texas for the Big 12 this year. Um, I know I liked Iowa State. I'm pretty sure that that was your pick as well. We, yep. we, we kind of flubbed there, but at the same time, I think Texas has shown some cracks. And yes, their only two losses came against really good teams but just the way they've been playing from week to week gives me a lot of pause so on one hand it was surprising because it was Kansas that did it it was surprising because it was that high scoring a game but at the same time this Texas team feels like they're gonna take a bad loss at some point this season still in big 12 play for me my my uh Biggest surprise was in the last game of the night. Boise State went to Provo as a six-and-a-half-point favorite against BYU. Um, both teams were pe- playing backup quarterbacks, so this was, you know, a game that was on fairly level footing in that regard. You can say that Hank Bachmeyer wasn't in for for Boise State, but at the same time, the Cougars were down to their third stringer in Baylor-Romney. So it's one of those games where it was a tough defensive struggle in the first half. Boise State was able to engineer that that late field goal before halftime to go into the locker room 10-7. And at that point, it felt like, okay, we're going to have a defensive struggle, but Boise State is starting to figure it out. I put out my top 25 projections, had them actually moving up a spot to number 13, and then the Broncos come out in the second half so flat, so listless, and BYU was on fire. You know, they scored 21 unanswered points in that third quarter, and they completely blew the game wide open. And uh, I, it, at this point, that, that loss drops Boise State down to number 22 in the polls, and it gives the, the American Athletic Conference the driver's seat in the New Year's Six race which I don't think anybody saw happening, at least against a BYU team that had just lost to Toledo and South Florida in their previous two contests. It must be noted, we did say coming into that game that BYU has played a lot better at home than they have on the road this season. They've really been a Jekyll and Hyde team in that regard. But even after watching that first half, I think very few people would have said that BYU would have won it in the fashion that they did. Yeah, I completely agree. BYU's got the weirdest resume, I think, in the country at this point in the season. They've beaten Tennessee, they've beaten USC, and now they've beaten Boise State, and they've got the losses, like you said, to Toledo and South Florida. It just makes no sense. You know, it doesn't make sense from week to week what Cougars team is going to show up. Obviously, on their home field, they've been better, but they also went to Knoxville and beat Tennessee, so who the hell knows? With BYU, we were both super confident in Boise State this week. Uh, That was one that we definitely uh, misfired on for sure. I thought the Broncos would roll. Another one of those Vegas specials, though, because that spread was a little tighter than um, I would have thought it would have been, so I should have heard the alarm bells ringing. Yeah, definitely. Well, before we go into our first break, let's look at some individual performances. First and foremost, who did you have as your offensive game ball this week, John? 
Uh, I loved what Shane Bouchel was able to do against a, a really quality Temple defense. Um, the Texas transfer was just on fire. Uh, you know, we we both picked Temple to win that game. We'll get more into that later. But SMU just keeps winning. They're 7-0 now. Bouchel threw for 457 yards and had six touchdown passes against against Temple, which was just a phenomenal performance. He they needed him to come up big against a really good Temple team, and he sure showed up for his for his guys and really had a huge performance. Um, he hit, uh, like I said, six touchdowns. Reggie Robertson Jr. for SMU had 250 of those yards and three touchdowns. So he's another guy that deserves mentioning. And now after that win, I mean, SMU's the team that's in the driver's seat for a New Year's Six Bowl berth. I put them in the Cotton Bowl this week against Notre Dame, which would be a really fun historical matchup, by the way. I was really happy about that. Yeah, that would be such a fun game to see. I'm I'm rooting for the Mustangs. The fact that they're on their best run since 1982 is something to be celebrated in college football. It really shows that a team can go can completely torpedo. I mean, this is the team for which the death penalty is called the death penalty. And it's taken a long time for a a really grieving fan base to have something to truly celebrate. And this is a year worth celebrating. Bouchelle was an incredible pick for that. For my game ball on offense, I actually stayed in the American Athletic Conference I really liked what Kenneth Gainwell did, the running back for Memphis. He had a historic day. He ran the ball 18 times for 104 yards and a touchdown. And if that was all he did, it would it would be a, a, a great day. It would be a, a full performance. But then he went out and caught nine passes from Brady White for 203 yards and another pair of touchdowns. And was really instrumental in Memphis hanging a 47-17 loss on Tulane. Uh, Tulane team that, again, we thought was going to come through this week. And uh, But worth noting there is, Gainwell was the first player since Louisiana Tech's Troy Edwards all the way back in 1997 to rush for 100 yards and catch for 200. So... This isn't this isn't the type of performance that you get to see every weekend. This is something that comes along once every couple of decades. And so I had to give that shout out to Gainwell this week. Yeah, that's a great pick. That's definitely a game that went sideways in our picks. But yeah, just an incredible performance. You don't usually see a running back with 200 receiving yards. So definitely huge. Um, On the defensive side of the ball, Zach, where'd you where'd you go there? As much as somebody who roots for the Badgers hates to admit it, my defensive game ball this week was Antoine Winfield Jr. for Minnesota. The defensive back was a big part of the reason why the Gophers were able to hold Rutgers quarterback Johnny Langan to only 48 passing yards. And uh, Langan threw three interceptions, two of which Winfield had. Uh, The second one of those that he picked off went... He took back 33 yards for a pick six that completely opened the game. I mean, it was already pretty wide open. His score made it 35 to nothing. But, you know, he tormented Scarlet Knights receivers all day long. Langan didn't even want to look in their direction most times because he was blanketing them. And when he did look that way, it turned out to be a really dumb decision. So... As much as as much as a Badgers fan hates to give props to a Gopher, this Gopher definitely deserved it this week. Big shock that an Antoine Woodfield is good at quarter at cornerback. I just can't imagine that that would happen. That a Winfield would be a good football player, right? Um, for me, it was really tough to differentiate with Utah's just total defensive destruction of Arizona State's offense. Who to give the game ball to because. Arizona State managed only 136 yards of offense in the game. Jaden Daniels, who had been so terrific for the Sun Devils, finally really looked like a true freshman. He was 4 of 18 for 25 passing yards, uh, no touchdowns, obviously, and a pick. Um, And Utah rolled to a pretty easy victory over the Sun Devils and really asserted themselves as the team to beat in the Pac-12 South at this point in the season. Um, 
but for me, it was it was Bradley and I who came out. He had three sacks, uh, really put the pressure on Daniel, set the tone early in the game, made the freshman quarterback start hearing footsteps. Right. You hear that a lot with young quarterbacks. They get a little nervous in the pocket. It's especially impressive because Daniels is such a good runner and so good at escaping the pocket that he was able to get in there and get three sacks on him. Huge win for Utah. Uh, the Utes are, you know, still chilling right there, right? They're right there. Uh, an Oregon-Utah Pac-12 championship game will be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, at this point, Utah looks like a great bet to also make it to that game at 11-1. and And it's funny, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier that Oregon is pretty much the Pac-12's chance to make the college football playoff. But at the same time, at the beginning of the year, a lot of people were touting Utah as a dark horse pick for that. And if you have two 11-1 Pac-12 teams going up against one another in Santa Clara at the end of the year, I think there's a real shot there for Utah as well. I think we can't discount them, especially since they're hovering right behind Oregon in the rankings at number 12. Yeah, I think both Oregon and Utah fans are going to be huge supporters of the other team the rest of the season, hoping that the other side ends up 11-1 and in that Pac-12 title game. And obviously, Utah still needs a USC loss uh, in conference to get there because the Trojans control the destiny of the Pac-12 South at this point. But yeah, you know, if either of those teams has legit playoff aspirations, getting a quality win over what would be a top-10 opponent if the other one was also 11-1 and would be huge in terms of making that last impression to the committee. Yeah, I, I, I think both teams did themselves really well this weekend. On that note, everybody, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to shift gears and start talking about Week 9 against the spread. Stay tuned. Welcome back for our second segment of the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We're going to talk about five key games against the spread this week, as always. We have uh, three big top 25 matchups that we're going to be looking at, as well as a couple of other big games that are coming. First and foremost, though, one of the biggest games this week is number 13 Wisconsin heading to the Horseshoe to play the third-ranked Buckeyes. Ohio State just passed Clemson for that number three spot in the AP Top 25, whereas Wisconsin is trending in the opposite direction after that big loss at Illinois. So, on that note, Ohio State comes into this game as a 14.5 point favorite. We've seen how good Wisconsin's defense can be, but do you think that spread is low or high, or do you think it's set just about right, John? You know, I hate to say it because, you know, I I don't want to be too critical of your Badgers or anything, but I do think it's a fair spread, to be honest, based on what we've seen from both teams now, especially after the loss to Illinois. And I do think you're right about Wisconsin kind of overlooking the Illini a bit. Wisconsin's a better team than Illinois. We know that. They play that game ten times. Wisconsin wins nine of them. We just happen to live in the universe where that one kind of happened. And that's the beauty of college football, right? That's why we love this dumb, beautiful sport so much is because things like that can happen. It just sucks when it happens to your team. Uh, but we've all experienced that as college football fans, obviously, over the years. So I love Ohio State, though. Like, if I if I was a poll voter, I would have the Buckeyes number one in my top 25. I think they're the best team in college football this season. Uh, I just love – how balanced they are across the board. I love the fact that they can throw the ball well with Justin Fields. J.K. Dobbins is one of the best running backs in the country. You know, we talk about Jonathan Taylor as a phenomenal back. J.K. Dobbins is only 10 yards less than Jonathan Taylor so far this year. He's having a phenomenal season for the Buckeyes. And that Ohio State defense has just been so, so good. And that was the knock on the Buckeyes last year is they didn't have that kind of patented good defense. I think Ohio State's going to do everything they can to take away Jonathan Taylor and that Wisconsin ground game. They're only giving up 92 yards on the ground so far this year, um, and I think they're going to force Jack Cohn to make plays. And as impressed as I have been with Cohn, I love Ohio State secondary. I think the Buckeyes are going to make some big plays on the back end um, defensively with their, you know, obviously loads of talent they have back there. Um, in the secondary, I really like Jeff Okuda to make some big plays for them. And I think I think Ohio State's going to end up rolling for more than a two-touchdown victory. 
Um, spreads 14 and a half. I would say something along the lines of 34-17, probably in favor of Ohio State. I really like the Buckeyes. I think they're the best team in the country. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, be, you know, I'll go into my pick in just a second, but we actually have the same spread there for our final result. Um, I think the, you know, the two big things here, as you said, Jonathan Taylor's playing a top 10 Buckeyes run defense. But more than that, Ohio State's rushing offense against Wisconsin's run defense is the biggest story in this game for sure. The Buckeyes are third in the country, averaging 287 yards a game on the ground. Wisconsin, even after giving up 141 rushing yards to Illinois, is still ranked first in the country, giving up only 59 yards per game. So... You know, this is a really great battle of strength versus strength. Unfortunately, that's, you know, the one place where Wisconsin really has the the edge or at least a, a null balance. Uh, Justin Fields is coming into this game completing more than 70% of his passes, and he's been really great doing so, throwing 22 touchdowns against only one interception. And if we saw Brandon Peters be able to do what he was able to do against that Wisconsin secondary, it gives me a lot of pause about what a player like Justin Fields is going to be able to do to that. So I actually, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a 17-point margin in the end. I had it at 31-14, but 34-17 is just as plausible there, so... Sorry, everybody. You saw what happens last, you know, last week when we all agree on something. So take that with some pause. Now it's going to be a tight game, which will make me happy that, as a fan. So I was about to say that that could be good news for you here. I like the reverse jinx you're going for. Yeah. Moving on to our second game, uh, we're looking at a big top 10 matchup in SEC country. Auburn heads to... Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge to take on number two LSU. I think this is definitely, you know, right there is the biggest matchup of the weekend. And, you know, LSU is favored by 12 points. I'm a little nervous about how high that is, but do you think it's too high? No, I don't. I don't think it's high enough. Um, Auburn has a really good front seven. But they've been susceptible to the pass so far this year. Auburn gives up 224 yards per game through the air. That's been the Achilles heel of their defense. We saw Florida have some success a few weeks ago with some slant routes and some quick passes. That's all LSU's offense does, right? They run RPOs. Joe Burrow throws quick to Justin Jefferson and all those receivers that they have. I think LSU's going to have a big day. I think Burrow's going to have a big day through the air. He's having a phenomenal season. He's now... Him and Jalen Hurts are now tied for uh, the best odds to win the Heisman Trophy at this point of the season after Tua Tagovailoa's injury last week against Tennessee. That's going to keep him out at least for one game. A lot of people think this could be a potential trap game for LSU because you know they could be looking ahead to two weeks from Saturday when they have to play Alabama. But the bye week's kind of perfectly placed and should prevent that kind of look ahead for LSU. I think Bo Nix is going to have a really rough game. He we saw him struggle in the swamp. Now he's got to go to Death Valley, which is, you know, at least it's not a night game. It is an afternoon contest, but that's still one of the most intimidating environments in college football. I expect him to struggle, uh, and I expect LSU to just absolutely rout Auburn uh, and knock the Tigers down. I'm thinking, Zach, honestly, I'm thinking something along the lines of LSU winning 38-14 to 14 or even worse than that, maybe. I think Burrow has another huge game and exposes Auburn's secondary. Yeah, I, you know, I, I totally see where you're coming from. I think also the fact that Jatarvius Whitlow is still out is a big blow for that Auburn offense. I think if they come in completely healthy, they do have a good chance. But as much as we've talked about LSU's defense being less impressive than it has been in years past... That running defense is still top 10 in the country. And, you know, as you said, on the on the passing end, they will make life difficult for Bo Nix. 
I think Burrow's going to have a good game, but I think he's also going to make a few mistakes. Auburn's secondary is top 30 in the country in terms of opponents passing efficiency. And so, you know, I I see exactly what other people are saying about the potential for a trap. I think LSU obviously wins this game. But I have it at like 38-30. I think, you know, I've seen Auburn do some crazy things this year. Obviously, as a duck, I've seen Auburn do some crazy things. So I, I think Auburn covers this spread, but they're obviously going to lose. And LSU's going to set up a one versus two showdown in a couple of weeks against Alabama. Which I'm not nervous about at all, by the way. I'm not, I'm not already sweating that game, I promise. I'm not, I'm not, it's not all I can think about. Oh yeah, not at all. Shifting gears, I want to look at what I thought was one of the wildest point spreads of the week when I was going down this. Uh, Number 15, Texas, heads to Fort Worth to play TCU, which is only a one-point underdog on its home field. What did did you think when you looked at this spread? I'm 100% with you. It's the biggest shock of the week for me so far was seeing that spread um i ignored the vegas special last week you know we talked about that in the last segment ignored um the fact that spread was closer than it should have been um i'm not going to ignore it this time i'm going to trust vegas i'm going to get on board because you got to think that everyone's going to see that spread and just bet texas heavy but i think the longhorn showed those chinks in the armor that we kind of thought were there last week against kansas I think TCU has a good game plan. You've got the the Horn Frogs really needing a win, right? They haven't they've lost two in a row, losing at Iowa State and Kansas State. Coming back home to Fort Worth, they've got the opportunity to do something. That defense for TCU should be able to shut down Keontae Ingram in the Texas running game. Uh, they're only giving up about 100 yards per game on the ground. So I think TCU's defense rises to the occasion, and I think their offense makes some plays against a really suspect Texas defense. So um, I like TCU in this game, and that honestly, Zach, that's me just totally trusting Vegas this week after kind of not doing that last week. So give me TCU 31-28 to upset the Longhorns in Fort Worth. Wow, you think TCU's going to score that many points, eh? I do. I mean, Vegas does too if we're looking at it objectively. The over-under on that game is 61 points. Yeah, I, I, I'm. that's the one that gives me a little pause. I think, you know, Sam Ellinger is going against a top 15 passing defense as well. You mentioned TCU's run run defense, but they've been really good against the pass as well. Obviously, after Texas struggled against Kansas last week, they they exposed some vulnerabilities on that team. At the same time, though, TCU has lost two straight by 25 at Iowa State and by seven at Kansas State. So I'm a little nervous giving them too much credit there. The one other thing that really has me nervous about the Horn Frogs is they fall apart when opponents get into the red zone. They're allowing teams to score on more than 94% of their trips into the red zone. And so I think um, Texas is going to win this game, but I see it as like 14-12. I see Texas barely covering this game in what turns into a really defensive struggle. Uh, That would be... That sounds like an ugly football game you're projecting, but I think that ugliness probably benefits TCU more than it benefits Texas. So I think I think Gary Patterson would love a good old-fashioned game like that. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think Sam Ellinger is good enough to get Texas into the red zone twice is basically what I'm seeing there. And once he gets them into the red zone, I think both of those turn into touchdowns. And otherwise they're going to have a really hard game against that Horn Frogs defense. Well, moving on to our fourth game of the week, we've got number six Penn State making a road trip to East Lansing against a Michigan State team that's always given them a lot of grief at Spartan Stadium. This is another one where the spread looks a little bit leaner than you might expect at first glance. The Spartans are only a six-point underdog. Um, how do you feel about that Vegas special? 
That's another one. I think it's interesting because I think this could easily be a, a letdown game for Penn State after kind of an emotional victory last week over Michigan. Um, Penn State's kind of the forgotten, unbeaten team among the elite teams. You know, you talk about the elite teams in college football, people are going to roll off Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Oklahoma, uh, and Ohio State. Penn State's sitting there at six, kind of feeling like a distant sixth at this point of the season is how it kind of feels. But, you know, the Nittany Lions have been really impressive. But that's another one, like you said, that's really easily could be considered a Vegas special because only, I mean, a touchdown or less favorite even on the road against the Michigan State team that really hasn't put it all together at this point. They did, they're coming off a bye week, but the last time we saw the Spartans on the field was a 38-0 to loss at Wisconsin. They've managed 10 points in their last two games after also getting routed by Ohio State on the road, but they do have the benefit of their home field. They'll play better. They're coming off the bye week. I'm kind of sensing something weird happening in that game. Like you said, Penn State has struggled um, on the road in East Lansing. So I'm going to, again, trust Vegas with this weird spread. And uh, and this is just me abandoning everything I usually do when it comes to picking games because nothing I did last week worked anyway. So we might as well reevaluate. Um, I like Michigan State. I like Michigan State to pull the upset. We've seen a big upset pretty much every week the last few weeks of the college football season. Obviously, Wisconsin last week, Georgia falling to South Carolina the week before that. So I'm calling it this week. Michigan State stuns, absolutely stuns Penn State at the buzzer. Game one and field goal. Spartans 23-20. Wow. All right. I love it. At least we've got some disagreement this week. I think I'd be in real trouble here having uh, started up school here in State College if I was to pick against Penn State in a game like this. And... You know, Michigan State's defense has been better against the run than they have against the pass. But in both cases, this is not a vintage Spartans defense. So I I see Sean Clifford and K.J. Hamler having a good game. They obviously were the bright spot, especially Hamler, in a game that started to go sideways against Michigan in the second half last week. So... You know, I think the biggest thing that has me picking against the Spartans is what you said earlier. They've scored 10 points in the past two games, and Penn State has a top three scoring defense in the country. They're only giving up 10 points a game, and so I think this is a great bounce back for the Nittany Lions after struggling to close out Michigan during their whiteout last week. And I see this as the first win in East Lansing since 2009. I, I'm picking Penn State to win and, and win big, 28-10. Oh, I do like the disagreement. That means at least one of us won't have to eat a ton of crow next week like this week. So I like it. I, I, we're back to normal, everybody. Yeah, Everything is all is right in the world again. Yeah, things things felt off last week when we were talking about these games, and they proved to be off when we, uh, I yeah, I think you just need to stop agreeing with me is what it comes down to, because you do a lot better against the spread when you don't take my advice. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the last game of the week, this is our third top 25 showdown of the weekend, and really our primetime showcase game. Number eight, Notre Dame, heads to the big house to take on number 19, Michigan. The Wolverines uh, started out as a three-point favorite. They've been bet down to a a one-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. But, um, you know, Vegas is seeing this as really close, and fans are taking advantage of that betting the the, uh, Notre Dame side on this one. Do you think they're smart to do so? I do. I think really Vegas sees this as a pick 'em game. That's why you got the initial spread, like you said, Michigan favored by three. Usually the home team gets the additional three points. Uh, so I think Vegas sees this as a pick 'em. That's probably accurate with the strength of these two teams. Um, Notre Dame's been good, but not great most of this season. They've had some kind of weird results. Um, Their one loss, obviously, was at Georgia, but it remains to be seen if the Bulldogs are as good as we thought they were. They've looked pretty rough the last few weeks after beating 
after losing to South Carolina, they didn't really follow that up with a very good performance against Kentucky this week either. So I think this is kind of a toss-up game in that way, but the Michigan hater line starts behind me. So I, I, I predicted Penn State to win in a route last week. It looked good for a while. I mean, Penn State opened up a 21-0 lead to open that game. Credit the Wolverines for fighting back, but I think this is a massive game for Jim Harbaugh. I think the Wolverines have to win this game for him, honestly, because you're looking at 5-3 and three through eight games for a team that opened the year, right, Zach, as for a lot of people, the Big Ten favorite. A lot of people thought with um, Urban Meyer gone from Columbus that this would be the year for Harbaugh and Michigan. And obviously an out-of-conference loss wouldn't affect them in the Big Ten, but they've already got two Big Ten losses so far this season. Um, I think it's a must-win game for Michigan. I just don't have a lot of confidence still on the Wolverines. I haven't seen enough. The most impressed I've been with them all year was that second half against Penn State where they really fought their asses off to get back in that game. Um, I think it's a close one, but uh, I think Notre Dame prevails late uh, 24-21. I took the Irish. That's actually really funny. I have Michigan 24, Notre Dame 21. So... Um, the scoreboard will probably look something similar to that, folks. Just, uh, you know, decide which one you like. The reason I'm going with Michigan in this one is because they showed those signs of life against Penn State in the second half last week. Also, you know, uh, Notre Dame hasn't won in Ann Arbor in 14 years, and I think that trend is going to continue. I have not been impressed with Ian Book this year. And that's a big reason why I have that concern and think that Michigan can pull this off. That passing defense for the Wolverines is, you know, they're eighth in the country in yards allowed. They're 14th in sacks. And um, so you're get, you know, you've got strengths both on the front seven and on the back end in the secondary. And Notre Dame, you know, I, I love looking at red zone stats because that says a lot about what a team can do. They're 123rd in the country uh, at containing their opponents in the red zone. And so the the Irish are going to keep this a close one. But just like you had Penn State as your uh, upset special in the top 10 this week, I have Notre Dame as that team. I love it. We're, again, kind of kind of close. I mean, like you said, we picked the same score. I think it could go either way. It really comes down to who gets the last opportunity at the end of the game kind of sounds like we're both going for a game winning kick to decide the game. So who gets that coin flip of having the ball last with a chance to win the game? Exactly. Um, And yeah, I think it really does come down to possession. So on that note, everybody all is right in the universe once again. And with that, We're going to take another quick break before we dive into our final segment. So stay tuned. We'll catch you on the other end. Welcome back for our final segment of the Saturday Blitz podcast this week, everybody. We just went over the top five games of the week. But before we get into our upsets and locks, we need to eat a little crow. We're going to look back at week eight once again. Uh, to look at what our garbage picks of the week were. And there were certainly a lot of them to look at. I went just one in six this week. And uh, even the one game that went right against the spread, Oregon-Washington, I was way off in what the final score would be there. I was predicting a route, and we got a down-to-the-wire performance. So... Take anything I'm saying with a grain of salt in weeks where we're all agreeing on things. So, on that note, though, what was your absolute worst take last week, John? Oh, boy. I I don't know if I can handle this plate of crow. It is far too large for me to ingest in one sitting. Um, it was a bad week, you know, and, and, and if you're, you're picking games and you're handicapping stuff like this, you're going to these types of weeks from time to time where everything just goes absolutely haywire. I don't think I was more wrong on a game though than I was when uh, we talked about the Tulane and Memphis spread last week. Uh, Memphis coming off that loss to Temple, really needing a win, just completely ignored the fact that they might come out hungry 
Uh, also didn't realize that Kenneth Gainwell would have 200 receiving yards in that game either. Uh, I picked Tulane. I was on the Willie Fritch train, picked the the green wave to knock off Memphis. Uh, 28 to 24 was the pick I gave. And then, you know, Memphis proceeded to win 47 to 17. Was never really in doubt. Uh, there were several to pick from, but that was the one that stood out the most as the biggest kind of uh, most egg on my face, I guess, for that selection. Yeah, I, I I certainly blew that one as well. Like I said, I I blew basically everything last week, so I could basically pick any one of these out of a hat and talk about them. But I I personally thought my worst take was that SMU Temple game. Uh, you know, I said that the game first of all would be decided by a touchdown or less. I said the Owls would win based on the fact that they have a superior defense. And Shane Bouchel must have seen that as chalkboard material or something because it obviously was a stupid thing to say. You know, you mentioned when you gave out your game ball, he threw for 457 yards and six passing touchdowns, had, you know, career highs in both those marks. Reggie Roberson did the exact same, uh, catching eight balls for 250 yards and three touchdowns. Xavier Jones also ran for 105 yards, and in the end, as much as I talked up the Owls' defense, the Mustangs played much better on that side of the ball. They held Temple under 300 total yards of offense, and they made it look easy on Saturday there in Dallas. So, again, you, you, you could rip into me for basically anything I said last week. Um, but, but this one was, was definitely my worst in terms of the, what I was saying. It seemed like everything I said about that game, the exact opposite happened. Yeah, no, I'm totally on board. I also picked Temple to win that game. So I was also off base. So yeah, at least one of us should have a decent week this week. It seems like since we disagreed so much on these picks. So uh, we should get back on track, or one of us at least, if if not, are probably split down the middle. So, Zach, um, you know, I, it, I hesitate to call anything uh, a lock at this point after last week's performance, but what are you looking for for your lock this week? You know, I was an idiot with SMU last week, and I'm not making that mistake of overlooking the Mustangs. They're going to Houston as a 13.5-point favorite, and... I think that might even be low against these Cougars this year. Uh, the Mustangs are outscoring opponents by an average of 17 points a game through their first seven victories. And Houston is giving up an average of 470 yards a game to their opponents. And it, they've been equally bad against the run as they have been against the pass. In recent years when we've seen Houston be play well and and be higher up in the, in the rankings and in the American Athletic Conference standings. It's been their defense as much as their offense that has helped carry them. And the defense just isn't there this year. So I think Shane Bouchelle and his receivers, both Reggie Roberson as well as James Prochet, are due for huge stats in what's going to end up being a blowout. I see this as something like 48-17 for the Mustangs. Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds good to me. Um, probably, unfortunately to you, it sounds good to me uh, that I would probably agree with that pick. So I'm sticking close to home this week on my lock. Um Alabama's a 32-point favorite currently against Arkansas. The spread opened at 35, quickly been bet down. And the obvious reason it's been bet down is because Tua Tungavailoa will not play against the Razorbacks after injuring um, his ankle and going through a tightrope procedure uh, with the hopes that he can recover in time for LSU. I'm not crazy enough to say Arkansas has a shot at winning this game. They do not. Uh, I think maybe I could start at quarterback on Saturday and Alabama would still win this game. Seems like a pretty easy game plan. Hand the ball to Najee Harris. Watch him work. Uh, But 32 is just too much. I I think Mac Jones will look better this week after having a full week of practicing with the number one offense instead of coming off the bench cold like he did against Tennessee. But that guy looks shook. 
against the balls. Like you could see it in his eyes. He literally was taking deep breaths when the camera would pan around to him. He was nervous. Uh, had and to be fair, he had no expectation of taking a meaningful snap any point this season uh, with Tua ahead of him, and obviously he shouldn't. But you know, a full week of practicing with the ones will get in there. I just think you'll see a much more conservative game plan from Alabama this week. Uh, a more traditional Alabama offense. You won't see as many run pass options like they run with Tua so effectively. You'll see more of traditional ground and pound, set up the play action pass, try to hit a few throws. And basically take the air out of the football and try to get the hell out of that stadium as quickly as they can. So I'm thinking something along the lines of a 38-10 to 10 win for Alabama, uh, which is enough. Uh, and that's probably best case scenario. I could see Arkansas making it a little bit tighter. Alabama wins comfortably, but 32 is just way too high in my opinion. Yeah, I saw that. And based on based on Tagovailoa's health status this week, it, it, it seems really high, and the fact that it's getting bet down as quickly as it is is probably a good indication that it'll be closer than that. Like you said, I think it's going to be a matter of trying to control the clock and and wind it down as quickly as possible. I, I think that is a fair assessment of things, so... I know you'll be happy either way. Either you get this wrong and it's an absolute blowout or you get it right and Alabama still wins because there's no way in hell the Razorbacks are actually pulling off an upset in that game. Technically, that's an upset given the the spread, but there's going to be no upset. What do you think will be the upset of the week, John? This is another one of those that's kind of hard to call an upset because Nebraska is only a one-point favorite over Indiana on Saturday. But the Hoosiers just consistently are getting overlooked this year. I think a lot of people would be surprised to realize that Indiana's 5-2. and two. You know, the, they've been really good so far this year. They're one win away from getting bowl eligible. Uh, Nebraska comes in 4-3, and three, really needing a win. The Cornhuskers haven't been as good as a lot of people um, – projected them to be this year not us though to be fair we correctly projected uh nebraska to not be as good of a team as a lot of people said uh so i think indiana like i've been impressed with them they've been a good road team this year they won last week over maryland on the road whether it's been michael Penix or peyton ramsey at quarterback both guys have really performed well when given the opportunity um I really just like the Hoosiers. I, I think they're going to pull the upset, if you can call it an upset. I mean, Nebraska's favored. I think a lot of people are going to bet Nebraska with that being that low of a spread. It's interesting, like you like we've talked about so many times, the home team usually gets three points. So I think Vegas is kind of leaning more towards the Hoosiers' victory there with the Huskers only being favored by a point. So I like Indiana. I like Indiana to go into Lincoln and, and, and shock Nebraska and pull out a win. I think that Adrian Martinez will make a couple mistakes, and I think Indiana pulls out the upset. I'm really intrigued by that. It would be wild to see the Hoosiers bull eligible before November rolls around. I, I That's certainly not something I saw at the beginning of the season, but you're absolutely right to call them out as a team not to be sleeping on at this point. For me, I'm going to pick... A kind of a I'm going back to my my old part of the country for my upset pick this week. Looking at Pac-12 action, I was um, definitely not impressed with Arizona State last week against Utah. Obviously, that's against Utah, so take this with for what you will. But I think UCLA as a four point underdog is going to take down the Sun Devils this week. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, uh, admittedly UCLA is two and five, Arizona state is five and two, but both these teams are two and two in pac 12 play. So UCLA has been playing a lot better in the past few weeks than I think people are giving them credit. We saw them take on Stanford last week and get their first win against the Cardinal in 11 years in what was Really an impressive 34-16 victory. I think Joshua Kelly's going to score at least one touchdown for his fourth straight game. 
I think Dorian Thompson Robinson really showed he's back to form against the Cardinal and he's going to continue to do so against the Sun Devils. And as a duck, I, I, you know, it's sad to see Chip Kelly back in the Pac-12, but I wish him nothing but the best. And I think he's really starting to put things together in Pasadena. So I think this is another game where for the second straight week, people will be overlooking UCLA and the Bruins are going to come out and surprise them again. I like it. I, I think UCLA is definitely playing better. They've been kind of Jekyll and Hyde, though, in some of these situations. So um, this could be another one where, you know, Arizona State was so hyped last week, and it could be one of those games that they let Utah beat them twice, essentially, because they're kind of down after not really being competitive in that game. So I like it. I think it's a good pick. Yeah, it, it's just one of those where the spread was low enough that it, it kind of, again, shocked me. It's one of those, what is Vegas trying to tell us about this team there? Well, before we get off the uh, podcast this week, John, as always, we got to talk about Tailgater Fair. What are you eating and drinking this week? I had uh, something I haven't done in a while, and I've had a kind of a craving for it. It's been burgers. Uh, but kind of a unique take on burgers with what I do. I Like we talked about before, I kind of like to match it with the team Alabama's playing. So I'm going to get a lot of bacon involved for this Razorback matchup this week. So what I like to do with burgers is get some ground beef, uh, throw it in a, in a bowl. But I like to throw in some mushrooms I like to dice up and some cheese. Get them up, make the patties, uh, and then... After I make the patties together, I put four slices of bacon and wrap the bacon all the way around the burgers and then throw them on the grill for a while. Maybe make a little bit of a barbecue sauce to go with them um, and then probably throw a little bit more cheese on top of the burger. So the my my specialty of the, the bacon uh, burgers is going to be brought out this week for the special occasion of the Arkansas game. Uh, and to wash it down, I'm not going anything fancy this week. Uh, honestly, I've been drinking a lot of Blue Moon uh, recently just because it's been kind of ready and available, uh, and I've kind of blitzed through the craft beer options around here. I need to explore that avenue a little bit more, uh, but uh, good old reliable Blue Moon is what's going to be stocked in my fridge this weekend. Nice. Well, my wife gets back into town uh, this week. She's actually getting back today, and uh before she left for the West Coast, we were talking about wanting to make meatball subs for like a week and a half before she left, and we never got around to it. So that's what I'm going to be doing this weekend, making up some meatballs and getting them in the crock pot, letting them simmer in sauce all day, get, you know, really good and, and juicy, get some good crusty bread, some thin sliced provolone, and uh, put those together, because... I, I think it'd be a good treat for both of us, especially with, with her coming back and us talking about it as much as we were. And then to drink, I'm going to actually shift gears off of beer this weekend and uh, switch it up with some cider. We're in the time of year when cider is always really good here. There's some good seasonal ones coming out. And there's a great cidery out just out, you know, just up the road in Belfont from State College where uh, it's called Good Intent Cider. And they do some really interesting ciders. So they have one that's called the Adam's Apple, just a really good, nice, semi-dry cider. Really that fresh pressed apple flavor, but you get that good alcoholic content as well. And then they have one called a British Imposter, which if they have it available to get either bottled or in a growler, I'm definitely doing that. Uh, just out of sheer curiosity, because they're, they basically say that it's infused with Earl Grey and English breakfast tea. So you get a bit of that, that sweet tea taste. And uh, I think that'll be really great for that bit of caffeine boost to, to charge me through doing the top 25 projections and everything. And both of them are 8% alcohol by volume, so they've got enough kick to get through the, the, the day. And uh, I think it's a, you know just a good change of pace. So that's what I'm going to be doing is, is heading out of town either Thursday or Friday and grab some good intense cider there in Belfont. That sounds fantastic. I think that'll... 
that'll pair well with the nice cooler weather we're supposed to be getting here soon. So yeah, it's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm really excited. I haven't actually tried their stuff yet, but I've, I've definitely heard good things. So, well, everybody, I hope this inspires you to eat well and drink well this weekend. May your teams do ever as good as possible on the field unless they're playing one of our teams. So uh, on that note, it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you once again here on the Saturday Blitz podcast. Remember that we're here every Wednesday for you offering up takes, which might be good and might be bad. Look for weeks where we're not in agreement. And uh, you all have a good rest of your week leading into week nine. Thanks for tuning in.